Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys. Well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast and to our theology segment. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's show, one of our listeners writes in, and they have a great question. And the question is this. How can I recognize biblical symbolism? Wow, this is an important question. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, Christian stops at the interpreter's house to be shown a number of visions designed to teach important spiritual lessons. First was a picture of a man looking to heaven, holding a book, wearing a crown, and pleading with men to listen. The meaning was that that Christians should listen only to faithful and to holy Bible teachers. And second, he was shown a large parlor filled with dust. A man came to sweep, but the, but the dust merely flew around the room. And then a girl came and sprinkled the room with water, after which the room was easily swept clean. This vision illustrates how the broom of the log cannot clean the heart until it has been sprinkled with the water of the gospel. Further visions illustrated a variety of spiritual lessons important to the Christian life. The reader of The Pilgrim's Progress realizes that Bunyan is presenting allegories because of how he names his characters. The man who witnesses the gospel is called evangelist. The pilgrim is Christian. He is led astray by pliable and obstinate, and he receives his vision in the house of a man named Interpreter. Revelation is not an allegory like The Pilgrim's Progress, but a book of apolitic visions, end-time visions. And still, like Bunyan's masterpiece, Revelation functions in a way that that cues how we should read it. And from the very beginning, Revelation employs symbols to depict redemptive historical realities. In chapter 1, Jesus appears amid the golden lampstands that represent the churches, holding stars in his hands that symbolize angels, and with a two-edged sword coming from his mouth that depicts the sharpness of his message. And we are clearly to interpret these messages symbolically. The same is true of John's use of numbers, including seven to depict the completeness of the Holy Spirit in uh, Revelation 1, 4, the 144,000 to depict the vast multitude of the redeemed drawn from the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus. The key to interpreting the detailed visions of Revelation chapters 11 through 13 is to remember the literature that we're reading. Some Christians assert that we must interpret these passages literally as as giving a more or less detailed description of historical events, either past or future. But this approach forgets that the very nature of Revelation encourages symbolic interpretation of these visions. And just as the the nature of the Pilgrim's Progress compels us to interpret John's Bunyan's uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress allegorically. The the passage on the temple's measuring in in Revelation 11, 1 through 2, most clearly illustrates the significance of the differing approaches to interpreting Revelation. 
And the main reason for the difficulty and the importance of this passage is that it forces us to make a clear decision. How are we going to handle Revelation? And John writes in Revelation 11, 1 through 2, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But, but do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that one out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. The end of chapter 10 depicts John eating a scroll just as Ezekiel had eaten a scroll in Ezekiel 2, 8 through 3, 4. And now the beginning of chapter 11 depicts John measuring the temple just as Ezekiel had watched the temple being measured in Ezekiel 40 through 48. And many believers think that the temple measured here is a future temple, a literal building that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. This temple, though, is a figurative way to describe the people of God. And notice in Revelation 11.1 that those who worship there are to be measured. You see, the Bible's theology of the temple is not about a building so much as it is about God being with his people. The early chapters of Genesis present the Garden of Eden as a temple in which uh, God communes with man. After the expulsion from Eden, the tabernacle and the temple are built so, so that God can dwell among his people. And the tabernacle and the temple are thereby meant to recapture the Edenic experience. And when Jesus comes, he fulfills and he replaces the temple. And as God, he once again walks with man. And then Jesus fulfills the sacrificial system through his death and burial. And he pours out his spirit on the church. See, the indwelling of the spirit makes the church the new temple. The goal of this whole trajectory is not a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, but a day when the whole of creation will be like the holy of holies and the new heavens and the new earth. And so while Revelation predicts that there will be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, the temple becomes a symbol for the church, which is God's temple, because the church is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so the measuring of God's people that we see in Revelation 11.1 is a symbolic depiction of God's knowing exactly where all of his people are. He's taking stock of them so that he can protect them. None of of the people of God are overlooked. None of God's people will be forgotten. And this means that the, the court outside the temple, the holy city that is trampled for 42 months is a reference to the way wicked people will rule over the world on the holy city. The temple in Revelation 11.1 is a reference to the church and the reference to the court. And the city in Revelation um, 11.2, it signifies the rest of the world. And so the world is God's. He made it. He owns it. He deserves all of the glory and the honor from it. But for this 42-month period, he protects only the church. The rest of the world, though it belongs to God, will be trampled by the nations. This is what John describes here in Revelation 11.2, interprets and fulfills Daniel 7.23. And briefly explaining these things is necessary to understand Revelation 11.1-2 and to rightly interpret the material to come in the following chapters of Revelation. And it remains crucial for us to apply these verses as they speak to us today. 
The message is, is that living in an age that is hostile to Christ and his followers, Christians must draw close to God. They must trust in the blood of Christ. They must call on God in prayer, and they must gather with fellow believers for the worship of the Lord God in local churches. The Lord extends his measuring rod to encompass those who are close to his presence, establishing a barrier to keep them safe for a salvation that will be revealed at the end of the age. A special warning is given here by, by the Apostle John to merely nominal believers, those who attend church, who walk through the motions, but they do not belong to the body of Christ's true followers. They are like the Gentiles who are admitted to the former temple's outer courts. Do not measure the court outside the temple, John is told in Revelation 11.2, showing that those who are Christians in name only are not protected by God. The nominal, the worldly church is given over to the nations, Revelation 11.2 says. And so apart from a living faith in the Lord Jesus and a commitment to the word of God, the institutional church and its apparatus are annexed by the world. It is from the nominal church that much, much of the persecution is launched against true believers in Christ. And this happens today in the false teaching pouring forth from unbelieving seminaries and worldly pulpits today. John's vision gives a challenge. Are you, are you a Christian in name only? Not having received the Bible's message in an obedient faith and not embracing its message of judgment for sin and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Are, are you one who attends Christian events and uses Christian language but has never relied on Christ for your personal salvation, has never surrendered your life to, to Jesus Christ, your Lord? If so, not only are you outside salvation, but you will, you will not tolerate true biblical Christianity. Revelation 11.2 gives a dreadful description of those who occupy the periphery of the church, but do not worship the Lord in spirit and truth in the temple of the true church of the Lord Jesus. And so understanding not only how history ends, but also the times in which we're living. That's what we need to do today. And John's vision urges true Christians to dwell close to the presence of God. The altar that John mentions speaks both of our reliance on Christ's atoning blood for the forgiveness of sins and of the altar of prayer where we can call on the Lord for help. And furthermore, he mentions in Revelation 11.1, 1, those who worship there, speaking of our, of our calling to join the body of, of Christ's believers who worship in the holy place of the Christian congregation. They are safe in the presence of God. We are measured. We are known. We are kept safe within the holy precincts of the Christian church. Well, friends, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.